Karja, Gamani Gia Debsha, August Marasgrata Sola Gomsa, Goel Shevsha, Gohan Moy, August Vakamur and Sleep Do, or in Majin, and Shinu Moore, Program Moore, Act, Anish, Sotan, Sleep Do, a Kanch, Arish. I just wanted to pick up on uh, really good news coming out of Belfast City Hall about a tribute to to Belfast women, Marianne McCracken and Winifred Carney. Because these two outstanding people will soon have statues commemorating their heroism, their leadership and their commitment to social justice and freedom. And these statues will be erected in the grounds of the City Hall here in Belfast. And it was agreed that the uh, Strategic Policy and Resource Committee last week, that the Council will begin the process of costing and designing the statues. The background of this goes to 2012, when an Equality Impact Assessment confirmed what anyone with eyes already knew, that the grounds of Belfast City Hall were overwhelmingly, it's hard to say that, dominated by white, male, upper class and unionist images. And the City Hall did not reflect the reality of life in Belfast and especially of a changing Belfast. So to address this imbalance, Sinn Féin brought forward proposals four years ago to transform the City Hall and the grounds. And that process has been slow because obviously there are some within the council who have tried to frustrate this new direction. However, last Friday's council meeting has now moved the proposal around the two Belfast women a decisive step forward. So who is Winifred Carney? She was born in Bangor, but reared at Five Falls Road. She attended the Christian Brothers School in Donegal Street, where she worked for a time as a junior teacher. She qualified as one of the first lady secretaries and shorthand typists in Belfast from Cuse's Commercial Academy. And then she worked for a while in a solicitor's office in Dungannon. Winifred had a keen interest in the Irish language and culture and joined the Gaelic League she was a strong advocate for the rights of women and she was a committed socialist. And she was very close to Marie Johnson, who worked as secretary for the Irish Textile Workers Union. And that union had been established in 1911 by James Connolly. So when Marie became ill, she asked Winifred to take over the responsibilities that she had. And two years later, Connolly, along with Winifred Carney, published the manifesto of Irish Textile Workers' Union to the Linen Slaves of Belfast. Winifred was also a member of Common Naman, which she joined with Connolly's two daughters, Nora and Aina. She was also in the Irish Citizen Army. In 1916, she was the first woman to enter the GPO during the Rising. She worked closely with Connolly in preparing dispatches, and when the GPO was evacuated after five days of fierce fighting, 
Carney was with the wounded Connolly as he was carried to number 16 Moore Street. There, five of the signatories to the proclamation held their last meeting as the provisional government. Julia Greenan, Winifred Carney and Elizabeth O'Farrell were present. And when Tom Clark broke down at the prospect of surrender, the book, Last Words, which I have quoted often in these dispatches, Last Words tell us, Miss Greenan and Mr. Car- Miss Carney went across to him, that's to Tom Clark, to try and console him, but instead they themselves dissolved into tears and Clark comforted them. Following the surrender, Winifred Carney was imprisoned in England. Later she stood in the 1918 election unsuccessfully for East Belfast and she continued to work for the Transport Union. In 1920-22 she was Secretary of the Irish Republican Prisoners Dependent Fund. In 1922, she was also imprisoned in Armagh Jail. 1928, she married George McBride. And this is a wonderful story. George had fought in the First World War, and he was from the Shankill Road here in West Belfast. And he also was a committed socialist, although he and Winifred differed on the national question and on the rising. Winifred died on... November the 21st, 1943, and is buried in Milltown Cemetery in Belfast. And in 1985, the Belfast graves erected a headstone on her grave. And interestingly enough, they approached George, who was still alive, and who was in a nursing home, and he approved of what they were doing. So who was Marianne McCracken? She's often described as the sister of Henry Joy McCracken, executed for his part in the 1798 rebellion. And of course, she was his sister, but many times women are only depicted in our history as the satellites of a a husband or a brother or a, a father. And Marianne was much more than that. She was a radical thinker, a radical activist, a social reformer. She was implacably opposed to slavery and poverty. She was a friend of the disadvantaged and an advocate for the rights of women. She was born in July 1870 in Belfast to a wealthy Presbyterian family. Her uncle, Henry Joy, raised the funding for the construction of the poor house by the Belfast Charitable Society, Nye Clifton House, in 1774. And Marianne was a member of the board of the society and retained a close personal and working relationship until her death in 1866. In July 1798, her brother Henry Joy was sentenced to be hanged for his part in the United Irish Rising. In a letter, she later describes the events. I took his arm and we walked together to the place of his execution, where I was told it was the general's orders that I should leave him, which I refused to do. Henry begged that I would go. Clasping my arms around him, I did not weep till then. I said I could bear anything but leaving him. Three times he kissed me and entreated I would go. 
And looking around to recognize some friend to put me in charge of, he beckoned to a Mr. Boyd and said, he will take charge of you. And fearing that any further refusal would disturb the last moments of my dearest brother, I offered myself to be led away. After the failure of the rebellion, Miriam dedicated her life to many causes. The breadth of her interest in activism is remarkable. And John Gray of Linenhall Library fame has published a very, very, very good little booklet and it's available from the Linenhall Library about the life of Miriam. She helped provide education and apprenticeships for children through the Poor House Ladies Committee. In 1847, at the age of 77, she was one of those who established the Ladies Industrial School for the Relief of Destitution with the aim of helping those suffering as a result of Angorta Moore. And of course, 1847 is known as Black 47 because of the number of people who died in that year as a result of hunger. Miriam was one of the first to support the Belfast Ladies Clothing Society. She raised money for the Society for the Relief of Destitute Sick. She was a member of the committee that lobbied for a change in the law to end the practice of claiming boys. These boys, claiming boys, were involved in scrambling up the chimneys of the wealthy to clean them. The risk of falling and the impact on the health of the boys as they cleared away suit was significant. Her opposition to slavery was relentless and total. When Waddle Cunningham, or Waddell perhaps, a merchant proposed in 1786, that the Belfast Slave Ship Company be established, the scheme was vehemently opposed by those who later established the United Irish Society. This in the publication of Thomas Paine's Rights of Man and the French and American Revolution greatly influenced Miriam. Her brother, Henry Joy as well, and all of those who came on to found United Irish Society in Belfast in October of 1791. In a letter written in 1859, Miriam describes how deeply Thomas Russell, that's the man from God knows where, into our town land on a night of snow, wrote a man from God knows where, and none of us bade him stay nor go nor deemed him friend nor damned him foe, but we stabled his big roan mare. Anyway, the man from God knows where, Thomas Russell, despised slavery. And as Marianne writes of him, he was one of those who in the days of the Wilberforce campaigned against slavery in England, abstained from the use of slave labour produce until slavery in the West Indies was abolished, and at dinner parties to which he was so often invited, and when confectionery was so much used, he would not taste anything with sugar in it. His opposition was such and so was uh, Marianne's, that she persisted, even as a small, frail woman. She would hand out leaflets in Belfast docks to those boarding vessels to sail to the USA. And in a letter written in 1859, a year before the American Civil War began, she describes America, considered the land of the great, the brave, may more properly be styled the land of the tyrant and the slave. Belfast, once so celebrated for its love of liberty, 
is now so sunk in the love of filthy lucre, that's money earned dishonorably, that there are 16 or 17 female anti-slavery advocates for the good cause paying two and sixpence yearly. Not one man, though several Quakers in Belfast, and none to distribute papers to American emigrants, but an old woman within 15 days of 89. So within 15, 17 days, actually, of being 89, she, frail in spirit, showed that she was strong in heart and remained so all her days. And she died in July the 26th, 1866, aged 96. And one of my uh, fondest possessions is actually a photograph of Marianne McCracken, which has place of honour in the wall here in the parlour. And it's remarkable that one would have a photograph of such a woman and also very, very fitting that she and Winifred Carney will soon be properly commemorated and hopefully that will spread more knowledge of their lives and of other women in struggle. She'll be properly commemorated with Winifred and the statue to each of them in the grounds of Belfast City Hall. Talking of uh, legends, I want to give my condolences to Marion and the family of Rob McCulloch, who died suddenly last week. Rob was one of Ireland's leading blues musicians. He played with ACDC, with Van Morrison, with Rory Gallagher, with Jimi Hendrix and other global rock stars. He also taught Bobby Sands to play guitar when they were imprisoned in the 1970s. And I did a little piece about this recently after Danny DeBene published his iconic print, The Session, which featured Bobby, John Lennon, Che Guevara, Woody Guthrie and others having a music session. And that led in conversation with Danny to me phoning Tomboy Loudon, who also played music with uh, Bobby and Jill, and then to Rob. And he advised me on the music, and I was in the same cage as Bobby, so I remember some of this that influenced uh, Bobby as he was teaching him how to play. And they used to jam together, he and Tomboy, Rob and Tomboy and, and Bobby, we glass in the gallop. And the music that, that they were playing was music of that time. Of course it was Clonard and of course it was Christy Moore. But it was also Rod Stewart. It was Paul McCartney. It was Band on the Run. It was Dylan. It was John Lennon. It was Woody Guthrie. So I asked Rob if he and Tomboy and Beck McFarland and others, ex-prisoner musicians, once the COVID restrictions were lifted, would they come together in a session from the 60s of music from the 60s and the 70s that they played back in the day in the crumb and in Long Cash? And Rob was delighted to be asked. And he, he reamed off uh, a list of potential uh, numbers. 
and Tomboy also signed up. And then Bick McFarlane agreed to ramrod that gig, and we spoke about it only last week. And then poor Rob died. So unfortunately it won't happen now. Well, at least not with Rob, but Rob's music will live on. Gunyani Gia Trukra, or Rob, August Ma, Cobrone Lamarian, August Aklan. It was also my honour to be on a panel discussion about the Belfast Hills recently. It was on Zoom. It was part of Fela uh, Nagligany Gorma, and it included Linda Sullivan of Friends of the Earth, Jim Bradley of Belfast Hills Partnership, Marion Morgan, Laganil Improvement Association, and Melina Quinn of the National Trust. And for my part, I recalled the role the local community played in getting quarrying stopped on the mountain and how the campaign for the conservation of the bog meadows and Divis and Black Mountains developed. And I made the point that none of this would have happened without local activism, without the efforts of people like the late Terry Enright Sr., Aidan Crean, Terry Goldsmith and, and others. And Colin Glenn, one of our wonderful nature rambles, has a similar history in part communities. Mickey Ferguson played, God rest him, a huge role in the development of, of and the, the conservation of of the Glen. And all proof that empowered communities can make a difference. And when I was getting my notes together for the Fela gig, I started thinking about the time when my family first got a house in the late 1950s in Bella Murphy. And at that time, the Murph was surrounded by green fields. A river, now mostly underground, ran parallel with Bella Murphy. And that was one of our favourite childhood places to play when we weren't on the mountain. Spring Hill was yet to be built. It was a great green space, Husky's Field, with a big red brick house used as a clinic at its centre. We used to go there every week to get cod liver oil and orange juice. And what is now Spring Hill Avenue was a long tree-lined avenue. The powers that be destroyed all that. They eradicated every blade of grass, every piece of greenery, and built Spring Hill a grey, brick and black Taramac estate with all greenery erased. Thankfully, that version of Spring Hill is now gone, following sustained housing campaigns from Divis to Moyard, from Turf Lodge to the Shankill and other remnants of disastrous housing developments from the 1960s. Up opposite Divismore Park, where I lived, just at the corner of uh, Springfield Park, there were there was a row of old houses. They were called the yellow houses because that's the colour they were painted. And they were a reminder that this was a rural area. There were a number of working farms, one opposite Spring Hill, another beside Corrigan Park, yet another at the top of the rock at the left-hand junction of the White Rock and Springfield Roads. And we usually went up the mountain along there and up the mountain lonely. There was an old tin church on route opposite Dermot Hill, smaller but not dissimilar to St Matthias's on the Glen Road. And above and behind that there were two flax stands with swans and an epidemic of frog spawn 
in the early spring. At the top of the lonely there was a spring of fresh mountain water, nigh piped off and underground. Behind it was a track, now blocked, up to the hatchet field. And we spent childhood summers on the mountain. That track to the hatchet field was our main route upwards towards the acres of bluebells which give Fela Nagligany Gorma its name. We also used to walk up the Tonoroi close to Lav Yarig and listen to the corn creeks above what is now Turf Lodge. So it's good that Fela Nagligany Gorma celebrates all of this. But more importantly, it also looks with hope to the future. A future in which humans can live in harmony with nature. In our case, as Belfast people, in harmony with our Belfast hills. So, Tommy, if we're wake, then the Dini Akor and Fela Lahela. My thanks to everyone who made the Fela possible. Thanks also to all those who organised the many events of the Fela Nagligany Gorma. It's based on the principles of community, solidarity and well-being. Great work and very enjoyable also. So, in the hope that I can persuade Richard and our good friend Marty O'Toole, I would like to go out with our friend Rob McCulloch playing one of his own songs. Slan, folks, Kiki Mayhu, Kiki May Shipshin, Arbao, Yanni, Bowdy Ditsa, Kulyar, Slan Liv. all night Thinking about your woman Wishing I could hold you tight Feel so low Can't get you out of my
Get you out of my mind 